I've entitled the word of God to us today, Hindrances Through Selfishness. Hindrances, opposition, difficulties, conflicts are the words which summarize Nehemiah 4 to 6. Last week we saw that the Jews faced two major issues as they were rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, which was conflict and rubble. But despite those discouragements, they were determined to do God's work. Today, we move on and see opposition of a different kind. It's more opposition from within the Jewish family, if you like. And I've often discovered that if the devil can't oppose a church from an outsider, he'll do it by introducing sin and difficulty and conflict and rubble and stuff into the church among the people which is a far greater subtlety. Now, during the time of working and building the walls together, there were Jews who saw this rebuilding opportunity of walls to make money and exploit the poor. So there was firstly in Nehemiah chapter 5, a great cry, a great cry. Look at Nehemiah 5, 1 to 5. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, We have had to borrow money to pay for the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our vineyards and fields belong to others. So verse 1 talks about how the men and women raised a great outcry. Quite literally, the rich were exploiting the poor. The rich Jews were exploiting the poor Jews. And there were many poorer Jews, we told, because they had no grain. Some who had sold their homes, their fields and their farms to get grain. Others who had borrowed money to be able to meet the income tax. And still others who had to go to the extent of selling their sons and daughters into slavery to get some money. Why were they so poor? Well, there's clearly been a famine because those verses mention the famine. But now, what's happening right now? They're all doing God's work together. Building night and day. So there was no chance for them to make any money for themselves. So they started to borrow from their brother Jews. And they got into incredible debt to their own brethren. Here the wealthy Jews are taking more and more from the poverty-stricken Jews. And these poverty-stricken Jews cry out, They are wealthy. We are poor and we're all Jews. Our very brothers and sisters are bringing us into debt. So we have nothing. Nehemiah, we have nothing. Now, the law strictly forbade this. And you can read about that in Leviticus 25, 38, 35 to 48. 
no ways were you allowed to exploit your poor brother. Instead, they were actually meant to care for them. So what about you? Have you been caring for the poor lately? Well, you might say, I'm poor. And I've no doubt in this congregation, there are some who are generally, genuinely poor. But compared to the majority of poor, most of us are all rich. There are many Christian brothers and sisters who are frightfully poor here in Cape Town. There are many people who literally don't know where their next meal is coming from. Connect Church, God has placed you in a very comfy environment. But the poor and needy are all over the place. You know, for 20 years as a pastor, I did not understand God's mandate to care for the poor and needy. I slowly discovered that Jesus hung around and blessed the poor and the needy. He was a friend of theirs. Interestingly, he also knew to get, how to get money out of the rich for the poor. His very first words as he came onto the scene of his public ministry were about the poor and the needy and the broken. His final sermon was about the poor and the needy in Matthew 25 from verse 30 to 46. And, and, and I just wish I could preach to you a whole couple of months about the poor and the needy and God's plan for your life in terms of the poor and the needy. I want to tell you, when you understand that and move on to the agenda of the poor and the needy, you experience God in new ways. But back to Nehemiah. Here the poor were building the wall and they were being exploited by the rich who were also building the wall. And this great cry rose up to Nehemiah to do something about it. First point then, a great cry. Second point today, a great conviction. From Nehemiah 5, 6 through 13. And I'm going to read these verses one by one. Verse 6 says this, When I heard the outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you're charging your own people interest. Just notice what Nehemiah does about this. Remember, Nehemiah is an Old Testament illustration to us of the Holy Spirit. He demonstrates for us the work of the Holy Spirit. He gets angry when he hears this. There is such a thing as righteous anger. Jesus also got angry at the abuse of the temple precinct. You see, righteous anger is when you see the work of God suffering. Righteous anger is when you see the work of God suffering. Now, Nehemiah acted wisely here. He pondered over the situation and called a large meeting to deal with them publicly. And there's a biblical principle when there is a public sin that has been committed, then that public sin must be dealt with publicly. And when there's a, a secret sin, it must be dealt with privately. And so Nehemiah calls a meeting, public meeting. Now, I want you to remember as we look at Nehemiah 
uh, a picture of for us of the Holy Spirit's ministry, what Jesus told us about the Holy Spirit. John 16, 7 to 8. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, listen, will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And that's exactly what Nehemiah does here. The threefold convicting work of the Holy Spirit is operating here already in the Old Testament. They were convicted of sin. Verses 8 to 9. They were convicted of sin. Look at verse 8. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them. And I said, as far as possible, we have brought our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people. Only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet. Because they knew they could find nothing to say. So I continued. What you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of God to avoid the approach of our Gentile enemies? Nehemiah brought their sin before them and said, it's not right. What you're doing is not right. He named the sin and they were convicted. They kept quiet. <laughs> they had nothing to say. I personally have often noticed when people are proved wrong, they don't try and defend, they just keep quiet so as not to incriminate themselves further. People are often quiet when convicted, and that's what happens here in this passage of Scripture. They're convicted and they just zip my lip. So Nehemiah shows us how the Holy Spirit operates in our lives. He names the sin, that's what Nehemiah did, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts us, that's wrong. And then what do we do? You can sadly ignore that conviction. You can rationalize it. You can justify it and say, oh, but if you really understood my situation, or, you know, then you'd have a different take on it. Or we can do nothing about it. Or like those in Nehemiah's day. Keep quiet and repent. Sin, connect church, can take many forms. At the moment with the current conflict in the church, it could be bad attitudes towards people. Like, I'm not having anything to do with that group. Or it could be the blame game of pointing fingers at one particular group or seeing yourself as being in the right and you know everybody else or the other group or whatever is in the wrong. But me, no, 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 I'm definitely not in the wrong. Really? <laughs> Let me tell you, uh, the blame attitude in itself is sin. I'm not on their side. They're the ones who need to sort themselves out. They're the ones who need to repent. My friend, confess your own sin. Not hope that the other person is listening very carefully to this and, and in your spirit you're saying, yes, I hope they get convicted. If you're saying this is good for them, 
<laughs> then listen, you, you are almost definitely in the wrong. The Holy Spirit shines a spotlight on your sin and does not just call for confession, but radical repentance. It's an about turn that needs to happen. Many years ago, uh, I was in the Navy and uh, I had an office window that looked out over onto a parade ground with a difference. It was where the naval swans, as they were called in those days, the ladies who were in the Navy did their marching up and down. However, they had one particular instructor and this lady instructor had a unique way of teaching these uh, young ladies who were, had just joined the Navy. She decided to teach them how to march on a quayside. Now, you know, the average quayside of a ship is maybe 10 meters wide or even narrower so that ships can dock on either side. Well, instead of uh, marching them up and down the quayside, this lady taught them to march by crisscrossing the quayside. And, and she was brilliant. She got left, right, left, right. And they would get to the very end edge of that water of that quayside. And they're right there. And at the last moment, with absolutely perfect timing, she would yell, about 10. And those young ladies would swing around and go in the opposite direction. A complete about turn. Because, you see, one step further, and it would have been disaster for them. They would have been right there in the water. And for you, my friend, one step further of the blame game, of the bad attitudes, or whatever other sin there is in your life that you're hiding or, or not dealing with, could be disaster for you. And today God calls you, Christian, do an about turn. There has to be a complete turnaround in your thinking and behavior. The confession of sin, when it is brought up through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, gives you the opportunity to deal with it and for Jesus to cover it up with his blood. A psychiatrist by the name of Carl Menninger wrote a book I think about 50 years ago called Whatever Became of Sin. And that book is of incredible value today. Our society and culture has softened sin so much. We've called it by all sorts of nice sounding labels. And, you know, it's no longer really sin. It's just a bit of a mistake or it's just a weakness. The Bible calls it sin. Your stuff and your rubble is sin. And you need to confess it as sin and repent of it. Humility, acknowledging that it is sin, confessing it as wrong, and repentance, the about turn stuff go together. Quit having negative attitudes towards others. Quit blaming others. Take a hard look at yourself. They were convicted of sin. But I also noticed they were convicted about what was the right thing to do. 
they were convicted about what was the right thing to do. Look at verses 10 to 12. I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let us stop charging interest. Look at verse 11. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves and houses, and also the interest you're charging them. 1% of the money, grain, new wine and olive oil. We will give it back, they said. We will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Now that's repentance, isn't it? My word. Repentance and making the wrong right. Doing the right thing. Nehemiah actually says, look at my example. I'm also lending money and food, but no interest. He shows them what is right. Give back immediately their fields, their homes. Put it right. My friend, get it right today. When, this, when sin is revealed to you by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, when God puts his finger on sin in our lives, then you've got to put it right immediately. Don't put it off. Because in a, in a half an hour's time, you don't sense that conviction. Deal with it now and resolve to go and make it right immediately with whoever you need to make it right. You see, to the credit of these rich Jews who were exploiting the poorer Jews, they said, we will give it back. We'll go to that person and say, sorry, here's your money, here's your grain, here's your olive field, here's your... And here's the money that I loaned you with the interest. We will give it back and we will not demand anything more from them. We'll do as you say. Wow! That is being convicted about what is right to do. And so some of you need to go and be reconciled to your brother or sister about whom you've spoken wrongly. But I noticed too, they were convicted about judgment. They were not only convicted about sin, they were not only convicted about what was right to do, they were convicted about judgment. Look at verse 13. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robes and said, notice, in this way may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. Wow. Nehemiah made these people take an oath that they would put things right with God. And if they don't, then there will be God's judgment on the matter. May God shake a man out of his house. May God take away his possessions. That's a strong judgment. God says, May God make that rich person who thinks they're in the right, may he make them poor and strip away their power, their position, whatever they've got and their possessions. Nehemiah said, if they don't put it right with God, God will come and take it away in judgment. That's solemn. May God strip you of everything if you're in the wrong and you don't do anything about it. The judgment of God. If you don't put sin right with God, beware. This God's judgment doesn't act against you. Oh yes, God is merciful. 
But God is a God of judgment too. He will not always tolerate our hardened sinfulness. Let me ask you, do you know the threefold work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you see the exact clear model here of the Holy Spirit? Nehemiah does the exact same thing as the work of the Holy Spirit, conviction of sin, righteousness and judgment. You know, when I look at this, I understand at the picture of the Spirit's work here embedded for us in Scripture in the Old Testament. Laid it out. Sin. Right thing. Judgment. Oh, my friend, as God puts his finger on sin in your life, in a humble attitude, confess it. Repent. Turn around from it. And that repentance means go and make it right. If you have something against your brother, don't sacrifice. Go and sort it out first. But let me just say this. If you have no sense of conviction of sin in your own life or the right thing to do, then lovingly I say to you, you better examine your life very carefully to see whether you really know him and whether, even though you might talk about a spirit-controlled life or spirit-filled life, whether you really know that. There is not one of us who should be able to say, I've been perfectly right in everything. Everybody else is wrong. A great conviction. Remember, a great cry, firstly. Secondly, a great conviction. And now, thirdly and finally, a great example. Look at verse 14 of Nehemiah 5. Moreover, from the 20th year of Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land until his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. The assistants also lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from surrounding nations. Every day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me, and every ten days an abundant supply of wines of all kinds. In spite of all of this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor, because the demands were heavy on these people. <laughs> Remember me with favor, my God, for I have done all I have. Sorry. Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done. For these people. You see what happens here. Nehemiah sets the example by giving up his rights. By giving up his rights. As the governor he had rights. He had been appointed governor by King Artaxerxes. As governor he had the rights to food from the people. And money due to him from the people, the Jews. According to verse 14, he had the right to this food lotted to him. But he never took it. 
Nehemiah said, I didn't take it because of reverence for God. What Nehemiah was saying is, my life is governed by the Spirit of God. I'm not taking what I don't need. I'm not going to exercise my rights. That's selflessness, not selfishness. I'm desperately concerned about the rights culture in our country and among Christians. It is my right to do such and such. That may be true. But the Holy Spirit filled example of Nehemiah is to completely, humbly sacrifice our rights for the good of others. I've come as a governor, but instead I've worked on the wall. I came with a burden and I'm carrying out this burden. I've relinquished my rights as governor for God's work. Verse 15, look at it. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Relinquish your so-called rights as a spiritual child of God. Out of reverence for God, do not act for your so-called rights rights. Give them up for the sake of the kingdom of God and Christ's bride, the church. Give them up. In the church there are no rights. Christ made himself nothing. Whatever happened to humility? Nehemiah's life was governed or controlled by the word of God and the spirit of God. I don't think we have any rights in the kingdom of God. At the end of the day, we're nothing more than unworthy servants or what the older translations of the Bible called bond slaves. At the end of the day, we are unworthy slaves of God and nothing more. What rights are you trying to hold on to or claim? What rights have you given up for God's work and for his church? Controlled by the Holy Spirit, Nehemiah relinquished his right as he poured out his life. God's people. Nehemiah set the example by sharing what he had with others. Nehemiah shared the, set the example by sharing what he had with others. He also shared what he had. God supplied his need without using the food allotted to him as governor. He was able to feed 150 people a day. He was a man who loved his Lord and loved his people. He was prepared to pour himself out for God and his people, not concerned for gain, but all for Jesus. No self. How does your life line up? Are you prepared to pour yourself out for God and his people and put yourself in the background? Oh, what responsibilities we have as Christians. We must love and care for the poor and the needy lest they cry out against us. We have to be very sensitive to the ministry of the Holy Spirit as he is convicting us of sin. And again, if he is not convicting you of sin, then you need to question whether you have hardened your heart to his voice. Are you being convicted of the right thing to do? That is sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Plead with the Holy Spirit of God to operate in your life, my friend, and to convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Plead with the Lord that he'll be 
that you would be willing to sacrifice whatever it is, your life, your future, your plans into his hands. Not what you think is your right to have a plan for your life. It's God's plan for your life, my friend. Plead with him not to allow any hindrance to operate through your selfishness. When you stand before the Lord on that great judgment day, what will he say to you? And what, what will you say to him about how you responded to the conviction of the Holy Spirit to stop doing what is wrong and to do what is right? Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, friend of sinners, Holy Spirit, convictor and counselor of sinners, Lord, we have sinned against you. Lord, friend, counselor, draw near, convict us of sin, of what is right to do, and of possible judgment if we don't. Lord, as we walk through the valley of conviction, may we walk out onto the mountaintop of forgiveness and reconciliation. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now may you go and do what is right. God bless you all.